We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to episode number six of Fantasy Bites. As usual, I'm Joe Bartle. And in today's show, I'm joined by Alex Barutha, who just wrapped up his article series, 30 Days, 30 Teams, 30 Facts. For the NBA, we'll break down his thoughts on the top three biggest surprises of the 2019-2020 NBA season, if it has in fact come to a shortened conclusion as some are anticipating. Definitely make sure to check out some of his articles on RotoWire's NBA page, or by following his RotoWire writer profile, which will be linked in the description below. Without further ado, enjoy. Number three, I guess uh, one of my uh, maybe the least surprising thing or, you know, my my least impactful takeaway. Um, and it's not as much about um, the actual play on the court, but there's not really a villain in the NBA right now. And that's something we haven't really seen lately because, you know, especially I mean, because of my age, the first true villains I remember in the NBA were the big three heat when LeBron, D Wade, Bosch all joined up. And that was, I mean, that was, that was something that LeBron tried to embrace and that didn't work out well, but the media was kind of all in on portraying them as a villain. And it's looking back now, it's crazy to think that LeBron at some point was pegged as like the bad guy. Um, and then most recently we had the, the warriors who were kind of, you know, the NBA's darling for a while as they were coming up. But then as soon as they signed Durant, you know, kind of became the villain of the NBA and the team that everybody else had to beat and the team that was quote unquote ruining the NBA and why even watch a regular season, because it's just going to be the warriors and uh, LeBron. And now there's not really anybody. I don't think that's portrayed that way. Or, or I think most people view that way. I mean, there's always going to be people who hate LeBron and stuff like that. But I mean, we're, I mean, even Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis forced himself out of new Orleans as a star player. And I feel like his, his reputation has not taken a hit at all. And maybe that's because he's on a team with LeBron. And we also saw Kawhi Leonard force his way out of San Antonio 
And I think he saved his reputation a bit way by winning the NBA title. And now something that most people didn't think could happen. Now the Spurs look like the bad guy. And, you know, I think I'm not really sure exactly where this is going to go, because I think it's probably good for the NBA to have some of these good guy versus bad guy dynamics like we've seen over the past. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. There were obviously more villains in like the eighties and nineties when there was more physical play. But I think, you know, we, someone needs to fill that void. And um, I think, I think, (laughs) I think the Brooklyn Nets actually have that potential with Katie and Kyrie, just because of the way uh, that they, they act on social media and the strange quotes to the media that they give uh, also helps that. uh, I mean, yeah, that, that they're together now and we haven't seen it yet, but I think there's a potential for them to kind of get, looped into that category, especially if they are um, uh, snappy with the media or they, or they can start a, can a flat earther. Can a flat earther truly be a villain or you just pity them? Cause that's, that's kind of how I think. <laughs> uh, well, I think, I think it's villainous to, <laughs> to, to spread, to try to spread those beliefs around uh, and, you know, make oh, science features address it in class. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's, that's fair. I, I won't mention any presidential comments as well about that too, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Um, with that, I just kind of, you know, I, I more or less just not even ignore it. You, you just kind of laugh at, it. you make side jokes. How can somebody truly be a villain when they are the butt of every joke when it comes to an intelligence level at the NBA? And that's kind of what, when, when you're talking about a flat earther, like Kyrie Irving, that's what it is. But you, you bring up the villain thing. It's really interesting. Three's company is apparently what it takes to be, you know, devil in the eyes of the media, because you mentioned all these super teams, the warriors were great until they added Kevin Durant, the heat were fine until they added LeBron and Chris Bosh, Anthony Davis, and LeBron haven't got the same type of heat as Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Is it just simply three stars pisses off the national media? Is that, is that as simple as we can get with this uh, criteria for villainy? It, it actually might be. Um, and I think, it, I think that was helped by LeBron leaning into it and stuff like that. But by all accounts, you know, and, and, and some of that was LeBron's choice in doing the decision, which is one of the right. most horrible public relations nightmares of any star player ever. But yeah, I think, I think there has to be a certain talent level. You know, no one's going to be, you know, I don't think like the, I don't know. I don't think the Orlando magic would become the villains of the NBA or something, unless Jonathan Isaac started elbowing people in the head. Like I, there's just a certain point where. I think the talent level has to be there. And I mean, the NBA is more balanced than it's ever been, which I love. Uh, but yeah, it, that it's hard for narratives when that's the case. It's strange um, really throughout the 2010 decade or whatever else, right? We've seen three stars come together and, you know, misma- mismatches and hodgepodges of the term stars have been accumulated, right? Like I even think of the Lakers with Steve Nash, Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant that wasn't a star trio, but we, we try to pretend like it was, uh, with their points, their careers. Why has the NBA, at least this past season, it feels like this past season only transitioned to just two stars in a team. We've seen big players like Kawhi Leonard. He only won a Paul George, the, the bucks. And I, you and I are both huge fans of the bucks. It's Giannis and maybe Chris Middleton is your second star. Even the Lakers, they tried and tried and tried to get a third one but it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. Like how did that happen or how did that transition occur? Some of it is just purely financial, you know, with the increased luxury tax penalty, you know, to, to create a team like that, um, that also has a competent bench is absolutely draining on the owners, like personal pockets. And I've got, that's, that's a lot of the reason that happens. And, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, other than that, I think, I think it's easier to manage two star players on the court. You know, you don't, no one has to really sacrifice. You know, I don't think either of Kawhi Leonard or Paul George are really sacrificing for the team. I don't really think Anthony Davis or LeBron James are sacrificing for the team, but adding a third guy into that mix, I think does create a dynamic where someone has to give up their stardom to some extent. Uh, and I think guys would just kind of rather avoid being in that situation until they're kind of in their twilight years. The COVID situation is, is difficult in many ways. And of course the, it seems like the inevitable conclusion of the NBA season, at least prematurely is on the horizon, but I guess the one benefit and only for me, and maybe this applies to you or other listeners out there is that I've been able to dive in a lot more 30 for thirties lately. So you talk about the real villains of the NBA and we saw the Lakers and Celtics. I watched that three part documentary for 30 for 30 and I'm learning more obviously because what you and I both are nineties uh, kids. So we weren't even around when this stuff happened and, and to see the Pistons as well to just be the, the dynamic villains that they were and they really embraced it. You talk about the Nets. Is there anybody else uh, that maybe fits that criteria? Like I could see if Draymond Green had his own team, that that would do it, right? Like you could you could have a Draymond Green, and then two other people that really push that envelope to become the villains of the NBA. Yeah, it does. It does take a lot of. I mean, you know, back back in the '80s and the '90s, there was a lot more physical play. There was a lot more trash talking. Nobody was calling technicals. I mean, there was a certain, I can't remember how early the technical foul got invented, but for a large stretch of NBA history, there was no such thing as a technical foul. It was just a foul. Uh, And it does take a certain type of personality and physical play to create that. And Draymond's the right kind of player. Um, But I just don't think those kinds of players, like really, there's not too many of those guys who gang up on the same team. And that's kind of a dying breed in the NBA today, partially because of the way the floor is spaced out. There's not as much... You know, before when you drove into the paint, there were four defenders ready to just, you know, go up and try to swat you. That's not really the case anymore. You know, I think I think a team like Philly could actually lean into it if they chose to. Mm. And I think that would be sure. I would think that would be good for their reputation. But I don't I, I don't know. It doesn't it seems like they would have done that already had they really had that in them. The city would have rallied right behind him, too. I mean, that that just the tough physical villain replay that feels like that's absolutely Philadelphia in the 76ers. You're right with Joel Embiid already being a, a, a social media Messiah and Ben Simmons. Oh, he can't shoot at all. Like counterculture to what everything basketball is right now. And it has been for the last 10 years. They would be perfect candidates. You're right. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. And I think, I think part of what's holding them back is just like the team chemistry. I think if they were all on the same page, that it would be easy to do. And Joel Embiid with how physical he is, he'd be dunking on people and blocking shots. He already does the finger wave once in a while. Right. Like it just doesn't feel like right. enough. Uh, and I feel like, you know, we had the, the possibility of that showing out in the playoffs this year um, because of some of the teams that like, if Philly would have went up against Boston, for example, Boston uh, like doesn't have a real center. And so the whole game would have been like Joel Embiid potentially just bullying the whole team. And that could have started something, but yeah, other than them, you know, I, I don't, I mean, Houston, just from a counter of, you know, the extreme small ball, they're kind of in there, but I don't really view Harden in that way as like a villain. Um, there's just not too many other teams that, and personalities that I feel like will embrace it as well as, as Philly. Number two. What was, what was the second biggest takeaway from the NBA season, especially coming from you who spent 45 pages on a Google document putting this all together? <laughs> Well, I think, I think more generally, 
Um, the league is so insanely talented right now. Like I, we, you know, me, Nick and, and James have been doing like, uh, you know, we've been watching old games and kind of analyzing them when we've been doing a lot of games from like the mid two thousands, uh, like Carmelo and Dirk and KG and Steve Nash, that kind of era. And, you know, that was a great era for those types of players, but like the, there was actually a huge like talent, uh, a huge talent gap between like the superstar and the average player in the NBA at that point. I mean, we're talking about Brad Miller had two all-star appearances, averaging 14 points and 10 rebounds. I mean, it's, it's, it's very apparent when you watch those playoff games, how little talent is often on the floor. And in the NBA right now, the amount of great players we have is unbelievable. Even on the worst teams. I mean, even on, I won't use Cleveland as an example, cause that's, they actually don't have good players, but like even on, even on like Atlanta, you're talking about Trey Young and John Collins. Those are two future all-stars um, on Phoenix, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Kelly Oubre, you know, even Minnesota, they've stocked up, you know, the Knicks at least have like Julius Randle. I was going to say Julius Randle is so excited. You're bringing, you're bringing this up. He's ready to go. He's putting his application for a good guy and bad team right here. Yeah. I, uh, I might be one of the biggest Julius Randle fans, but they also have, you know, Mitchell Robinson and whatnot, but I made a quick list. This is a very quick list of the players who are 25 years old or under in the NBA right now. It's Jan- Giannis, first of all, Jokic, Doncic, Bam Adebayo, Trey Young, Jason Tatum. You have Ben Simmons. You have Carl Towns. Embiid is still under 25. You have Devin Booker. You have In- uh, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell, Zion, just kidding. Zion is 19. Pa- Pascal Siakam. There's tons of guys. And it's just crazy on like any given night, you know, how many great players and how many you know, so many teams go nine deep with like real players. And uh, I'm just happy that we're in a place like this in the NBA. And I don't think it's a situation where we're going to look back in 15 years and uh, be like, oh yeah, these guys weren't that good. I think this is, I think this honestly will be looked back upon as like a golden era in the NBA, partially because I think a lot of good talent just came through, but also because of the kind of three point revolution, the style of play, uh, revolution. And I think all, both of those things are coming together to just make a, you know, highly entertaining, highly talented league at the moment. Let the record show, uh, Alex and I longtime listeners of us on the NBA DFS podcast had this longstanding argument between who's gonna be a better player, Jason, Ing- uh, Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram. And on that list that you just riled off, who was the first name you mentioned? Jason Tatum. I think I win. There, there's no, other, no other questions needed. Tatum, Tatum is still better than Ingram, but Ingram has quickly is quickly closing the gap. He had an amazing breakout year, but Tatum is for sure still better. They're they're both they're both incredible players right now. But Tatum, Tatum's still better. Number one. So what was your what was your number one biggest takeaway from doing this series of articles uh, on the NBA season? Almost every team in the league, or I should I should qualify. Almost every good team. So I looked at the eighteen playoff teams or the 16 playoff teams, I should say nine of the 16 playoff teams have a floor spacing center on their team. That is like a legitimate roster. Like he, he plays, that's not like a gimmick. Um, Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez, you have Toronto with Gasol and Ibaka. Boston has Daniel Tice. Indiana has miles Turner, Philly and Beaton Horford. Orlando has Vucevic. He shoots threes. Now Denver has Jokic, obviously Houston. I guess you count PJ Tucker. I did for this sake. Memphis has Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson. Valanciunas shoots more threes than people realize. There are very few good teams in the NBA that have literally zero options or zero players that they really trust to, to shoot threes as a center. Um, like even Miami has Myers Leonard, who they were playing before he got hurt. Brooklyn is one of the few teams without one. Clippers are one of the few teams without one. 
Utah and the Thunder. Dallas has Porzingis. Lakers have AD. Um, it's it's crazy how quickly we've gone from even five years ago. You know, five years ago, Jaleel Okafor was drafted like you know number two overall, uh, and um, now we're we're at a point where most good teams in the NBA have a center that is shooting threes on a regular basis. And it's very crazy how, how quickly this happened. It's crazy to me. And you, you talk about a guy like Julio Okafor, but how about Valanciunas who has added the three point shot to his game? Brooke Lopez is a perfect example too. He was not known for that when he was the all-star for the nets. Right. But here we are now. And I mean, I guess this season he wasn't as capable. And certainly last year he was hitting them at a consistent basis. Just just to see so many big guys who really weren't known for that. It wasn't a part of their game to now transition to that and add to the repertoire and be an effective asset when it comes to the three point line is, is astounding quite honestly, because you know, those names, um, Anthony Davis comes to mind right away, right away. Like when he came out, that was one of the things he's a big guy who could shoot. He can also dribble really well, but most of these other names, like I just mentioned earlier, that wasn't their MO. That wasn't one of the things that made him so good, but flexibility has become a key part of the NBA. Yeah. And it, it allows, you know, it allows ball handlers, a, a lane to get to the basket who can showcase their, you know, their, their ability to get to the rim. And it actually allows in theory, it allows for someone like Ben Simmons to really thrive. It allows for someone like Giannis to thrive, even though, even though they're not good three point shooters, but they handle the ball. Um, that's why a lot of people have hope for RJ Barrett. He's not a great three point shooter, but he's a great athlete. He can get to the rim. Um, it's, it, it's crazy how, you know, we're, we're transitioning into a point where a lot of the big men are out shooting threes. And there are a lot of these guards who are the ones getting to the basket all the time. Um, and it's, it's weird that it's flip-flopped like that, but it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, and it's, it's, it's happening very quickly. And I'm curious to see like kind of what the next what the next step in this sort of revolution is. Cause it would, you know, can this be the, can this be the way basketball is played forever? Cause if you were to ask somebody 25 years ago, how is basketball going to be played? They would have said probably the way it's being played currently. So if anything, it just makes me curious as to like what's next. Cause we kind of know that this is already established and we're living in probably the peak of maybe not necessarily the peak, but the, uh, the real revel- the revolution is here and it's happening. That does it for episode six of the show. Special thanks to the Racing Pulses, of course, for lending their music, as well as Alex Barutha for holding or hopping on and talking. That does it for us in episode six of the show. Special thanks to the Racing Pulses for lending their music, as always, as well as Alex Barutha for hopping on and talking some NBA. We're on the verge of the NFL draft, so stay tuned for a number of different episodes breaking down the fantasy implications of NFL's newest set of rookies. 